1: Thank you, Ben. And this is Tony Lagreca, and this is Courage to Hope. And tonight we have a special guest. He's actually a repeat guest. And it's Sheriff Patrick McDermott from the Norfolk County area. And he just came back from a long trip. Welcome back, Patrick.
0: Thanks, Tony, for having me. As again, it, it seems like yesterday that I was on the show. And uh, as I said the last time, we'll just we'll, we're going to make this a more frequent uh, event. There's, there's so many things to talk about. We're going to pack it all in in an hour, but. Uh, but as we go on, there'll be so many more opportunities to chat about uh, future programs that we have going on. Yes, it
1: seems like, you know, when people hear of the word sheriff, you know, they think of some guy who delivers papers, you know, to someone who's getting evicted or divorced or something and, or you know, just going to appear in court. But your life as a sheriff is, is certainly not that. You are the most busiest guy, I can <laughs> I can tell you. Um, you came back. You hit a, a moving trip. target,
0: Tony. That's the name of the game. You know. <laughs> That's right.
1: Yeah. Um, I, the trip you just took, as from, from my memory, was about 22 hours to get there and 22 hours to get back. Correct. And you went. You went to Thailand. So tell us about the trip to Thailand. I know you yeah. did it. with the Quincy Rotary Club.
0: It was you know it, this is uh, something that goes. This is this was a couple years in the making actually. It, it was actually I served uh, a few years ago, three years ago. I, I was president of the Quincy Rotary Club. And um, I've been a member there for now almost 10 years. And uh, it was during that time that that uh, I heard about a uh, a great charity, a great nonprofit called Friends of Thai Daughters. And it was started by uh, one of, one of uh, my fellow Rotarians is friends with the women that started this program 20 years ago. And they're from Maine. Um, and they had visited over in Thailand and they saw that there was a big need that you know, girls, unfortunately, were, uh, for lack of a better word, are discarded in, in Thailand. They, they don't have much worth in terms of the work environment. And so a lot of young girls would either be sold into the sex trades or would be uh, married off as as young brides, as, as young as 12 years old. So these two great women uh, from Maine decided to start a nonprofit called the Friends of Thai Daughters, where they would... Um, they would basically house young girls uh who are of school age and would uh, would help educate them house them and uh, set them up for at least whatever success they could have uh in Thailand so when i was president of the Quincy rotary club we were approached about investing in a project um over in uh shangrai which is in northern thailand and it's a it's called the uh, it, it, we, they had the, this dream uh of a sustainable Thriving farm uh, that they could have the girls live at, and so they, we we started doing our due diligence uh, in terms of uh, getting some local community support over in Thailand. So we met up with the the Meacham Rotary Club uh, right in the local area there, and between the two clubs, we were able to put together a what's known as a Rotary um, grant, an international grant, a global grant, um, and that that utilizes funds raised locally. Uh, in both Thailand as well as in Quincy. Uh, we had several fundraisers. We had a couple of uh, of the girls come over uh, a couple of summers ago, right before COVID hit and uh, came and helped us raise some money. And through the project, uh, we were able to get, uh, we raised about $350,000 uh, when it came down to it. We were able to get matching grants from Rotary International. And what we ended up doing was building uh, we bought some land uh, with friends of Thai daughters, and we built a a farm. Uh, and I it, to describe it, it, it 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 is a slice of heaven um, in 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 a very impoverished area, uh, but it's a it's a beautiful several acres of of land where uh, the girls have now learned to to plant and do agriculture. There's a they've dug out the whole farm was built from itself, so it started out with build uh, digging out uh, retention ponds. Uh, the mud that they brought out of those, uh, those, those, those retention ponds was used to actually bake bricks, which laid the foundation for the building that the girls live in. Uh, they were able to hire a, a, a woman to, uh, to, to be actually the cultivator for the, uh, for the farm itself. Uh, we invested in um, building a hen house. Now they have over 250 chickens there that are laying eggs. They're learning how to uh, bring those eggs to market. Uh, so we, th- this was a whole project that that uh, just they, they just finally did the the official ribbon cutting was at the beginning of the school year, uh, back in October, and we weren't able to be there for that. But we made a special trip, uh, just as I said, just recently come back from with uh, seven, seven of us went over uh, four Rotarians and our spouses uh, went over to uh, to visit the actual school itself and the house that we built. And uh, I couldn't have been more thrilled with it. Um, like I said, these girls, uh, they're generally abandoned by their families uh, at a young age. And oftentimes, they uh, if they don't have somebody to take care of them within their their hillside tribe, uh, they're often sold off. Uh, and it, it's a very sad when you hear some of the stories of these girls who are the most precious uh, little things that you could ever want to meet up with. Um, they're very loving, they're very caring. And all they want to do is get a shot at life and, uh, you know, in education. And uh, this project through the Friends of Tide Daughters gives them just that. It gives them a safe place to live, gives them the opportunity to go to school. And also just the place that they get to live, you know, it's a beautiful farm. So it's all self-sustaining. They grow their own food. Uh, the ponds that they built are now fully stocked with fish. So they catch the fish, they cook the fish, they pick the... The fruits and the vegetables. They cook them up. They take care of the house themselves, and uh, it's quite a, an, an awe-inspiring environment to be in. And uh, uh, I feel very blessed to have been part of it. Uh, I think uh, if anybody doesn't know about uh, Rotary clubs, what they do, uh, the, the 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 motto of Rotary is service above self, and we both we 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 consistently look for projects locally. Uh, every town pretty much has a Rotary Club. Some are more active than others, but the Quincy Rotary Club is extremely uh, active locally, so we invest locally and in partners with nonprofits here at home, but we also know that we are also a global um, participant, and we also, we're also in this world together, and we need to reach out to those areas that need uh, help, and we focus on education projects, we focus on uh, clean water projects, we focus on um, on public safety issues uh, in in third world areas, and uh, so we're very. I'm very blessed that that I've been able to be involved in it, and as you know, it, it is it is a wonderful thing that to have as president as a past president of the Rotary Club to know that, you know, what was just a simple idea uh, three years ago is now a uh, is now impacting uh, thirty four girls' lives right now, and will impact hundreds of young girls, uh, for years to come. So it's great to be back. Uh, I was two weeks over in Thailand. We toured, uh, uh, three areas of the, of the, of the, of the country. Uh, and, uh, I'm just barely getting back off of my jet lag right now. So it's, uh, it's, it's back to business and back to, back to getting yeah. back to doing sheriffing.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you'll be, won't take long next week. You'll be in the thick of things. You'll forget all about it. As my my staff, my land. staff
0: doesn't, my staff doesn't allow me to have much, to have much downtime, and I told them that anyways. I said, "Let's get up and let's get going." So we got a lot of work to do. I, as I, it, you know, I just started my, 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 my six-year term. Um, you know, just to re- go back and tell the folks. So I, 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 I was elected two years ago to fill the final two years of Sheriff Bellotti's term, uh, who had served for eighteen years as sheriff of Norfolk County, and. So I had two years of of just a, an, being an interim sheriff until the six year term came up, which I was successful at running for um, this past year. So I was sworn in literally the night before I left for Thailand. Uh, so I was sworn into my uh, my term as sheriff, um, you know, just the night before. Uh, we had a great party and uh, and then uh, off to Thailand. But we we put forth a fairly ambitious agenda going forth in the six year term. So we're getting ready for. A real comprehensive effort to uh, to bring programs to the people in Norfolk County that uh, that make sure that our our, our county uh, remains safe, uh, secure, uh, and uh, and vibrant. And uh, we do that uh, through a multi faceted approach to both community outreach as well as working with those individuals who have gone the wayward path and and end up incarcerated in our facility in Dedham. And uh, figuring best ways and best ways to make sure that those individuals who go back into their communities are uh, are better prepared uh, to live a productive life.
1: Well, as I say, you're very, very busy. And um, I was going to say when people have, have never been to Thailand, the um, you go through night, day, night, day, like twice. And so it's, you know, if it's the dark, then it's daylight, then it's dark. And then, then you get there and sometimes tend you land about two o'clock in the morning or what time?
0: Did you finally get to the end? Yeah, we ended up we ended up flying. Uh, yeah, we flew out and we ended up in we were in Bangkok for a little while. Uh that's when we, we well we went to Tokyo first and then we went to Thailand uh in Bangkok. And when we finally made it to Phuket, uh it was I think nine in the morning. And uh yeah, it was we didn't it, it, you're upside down uh, by the time oh, you get yeah. there. So um so we 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 did the responsible thing and went right to the bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was gonna say
1: that when you're in Narita, which is the Tokyo airport, you know, you think you're oh, well, it must be almost there, and then you find out it's another eight and a half hours for nine exactly. hours to get to
0: Bangkok, and they're so, like, oh yeah. my goodness, yeah, you think is... you're in Japan? You figure Japan to Thailand can't be that much? It's all part of the you know
1: Southeast, Southeast Asia. Asia.
0: <laughs> and uh, but no, it's another eight-hour plane ride. It's it's it's, it's like, like being in Nova, it's
1: like being in Nova Scotia and going to
0: San Diego. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That yeah, was a it, it was an eye opener. I've never been that far away from home before. The furthest I've been is uh, is uh, is France. So that was all that was only a six hour jaunt. But this was uh, so I've, I've, I've uh, I enjoyed it. But it's always great to come home. You know. Yeah, I used to have a business in Singapore, and I used to go
1: back and forth. And, nice. Uh, I was in Singapore and England in the same time. Sorry, so I'd go from England back to Boston, back to to Hawaii, and then over to Singapore. So. And I can't imagine
0: like- the jet setting that people that you know the, the business leaders like yourself do over the course of their career and I hear I have some friends of mine that that travel quite a bit over to uh uh Dubai and and to to various oh, yeah. parts of Japan and, and to the to the Middle east and and to Europe and I and they're they're always jet set. and I'm like how do you keep it straight um but they just you just keep going you know wherever you you find time where when you need to sleep and you know you just right. wake up and go so
1: yeah, all you do is the the key thing is to just keep your watch on the time where you are.
0: Exactly, that's, that's right. right. And
1: and it's time is just a figure of uh, just a number.
0: Yeah, I um, liked at least in Thailand that it was just a twelve hour thing. The the math was pretty easy. So yep. it's like uh, I, if it was ten o'clock a.m. here, it was ten p.m. there, which is always easy. So I had to deal with you know having I had my two kids at home with uh you know, so we had to to manage them as well. So I had to make sure I wasn't and I even even caught I found myself at one point. Uh, you know, it was in the middle of the afternoon, Thailand, and I started texting people, you know, random things about ideas that I had, and I forgot that it was like one or Four two in the morning, morning. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I had to apologize to a few people.
1: Yeah. So tell me about the partnership with the Vanessa Marquardt Foundation.
0: Yeah, this is, you know, like I I always, you know, when, when there's so many tragedies that go on uh, that we hear about, and I always find it heartening when you can put a silver lining or a positive uh, outcome on it. So Vanessa Marcotte, sadly, tragically was murdered uh, several years ago, a young woman, she was out out for a jog, you know, just a, a, as anybody could be. Um, and she was, uh, she was accosted and, 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 and was killed. Um, and through the grieving process, her family came up with the the Mar- Vanessa Marcotte foundation. And it is a foundation that focuses on Self-defense uh, techniques, uh, largely for women, um, to, to defend themselves. You know, to, in the spirit of 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 uh, of Vanessa, and uh, to to memorialize her life, uh, they've set up this foundation, which is providing life-saving self-defense classes uh, for people. So, what they do is they focus on training the trainers. So when, when we approached them on the concept of bringing the program, it's, it's, based, it's a program that's based out of Worcester County. So my, my colleague, Sheriff Evangelitis uh, in Worcester County spoke so highly of the program. And, and, and so I, I took them up on the opportunity to, to contact the foundation to, to bring them to, to, to Norfolk County. So we just had uh, several of our staff members go through at least the, the first training uh, with, uh, with their training officers and I think there's another round of training that will go on next week. And once we're certified uh, on their self-defense techniques, and l- luckily our staff have, have been through self-defense anyways as part of their academy training before they become officers in the sheriff's office, but there's a particularized training on how to offer this, proj- uh, this program to civilians. And so once our officers are fully trained, uh, we're going to end up uh, setting up uh, a, uh, a several, a series of courses uh, for residents in Norfolk County. We don't have an actual location yet, uh, but we're working hopefully, um, you know, with, with some of the local schools. I think we are working with Curry College and Brandeis University uh, as at least two locations that we could use as a, as a, as a, as a place that we can conduct these training sessions. So, uh, you know, my thought is anything that brings us closer to where people can feel safe in their community. I mean, sadly, yeah, you know, there are there are evildoers that are out there and all we can do is make sure that we give people the tools and the resources to help protect themselves, uh, because, sadly, I mean, law enforcement can't be everywhere. So people have to uh, be able to uh, to take care of uh, themselves when uh, or if a, a tragic moment like that or, or, or somebody comes and tries to do them harm. So this is a great program. We're excited about it. Um, our staff is excited about it, because once again, it's it's an opportunity for us to give back uh, to the community and, and it focuses on uh, our public safety mission.
1: Well, that's a great idea. <clears throat> um, do you have, will it just be women getting trained or can men get trained too at the same time? No,
0: I mean, it, it, it's a crazy, it, it's geared for for women, but it is across the board and we're gonna, we're gonna open it up to, to anybody. I think it's valuable for for young people Male and female. Um, I think it's valuable for for anybody. It really is. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to actually going to the to the sessions myself to uh, you know to learn some techniques, and uh, I think it can be applied across the board uh, for all the residents. So I think it'll be it'll be something we offer to anybody that that is interested.
1: Uh, it sounds like a great idea. Yeah, um,
0: and I'm very yeah, this- grateful. For, I'm very grateful for the family. Uh, for for their willingness to to once again put a try, to try to put a positive light in something that was that that came out of a horrific tragedy for their them and their family. So it's uh, I applaud them and, and know that their their legacy for their for their loved one for Vanessa will will go on uh, for many many years to come.
1: No, that's a great thing to do for someone who's lost a life because of some you know terrible situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're keeping her name out there. And I think that's a great idea. Yep. Tell tell me about the planned support services center that um, for post-incarceration to avoid people coming back. And
0: one of the things that I felt that that was lacking, um, you know, right now we're very reactionary um, in in terms of um, the criminal justice system, uh, the way that the system is set up as people create people uh, commit crimes you know the police arrest them the prosecutors prosecute them the sheriff's office uh, ends up incarcerating people and uh, and it's a vicious cycle if there's no services um, that are available for people uh, who may be going down the wrong path Uh, so i didn't find anything when i became sheriff that met at least my expectations on how to fulfill the mission that we put forward. And, and, you know, we we operate under four pillars of prevention, intervention, education, and hope. Those are the four pillars that run the mission at the sheriff's office that that we've put together. And that runs in in all the different aspects of what we do. And when I was looking for ways in which, especially on the prevention issue, you know, there's there's not a lot of things out there that, that if people are falling into a, a bad behavior slipping on the wrong thing into the criminal justice system that would prevent them from further going down the wrong path. And especially when it comes to re-entry as people leave um, the criminal justice system technically, um, unfortunately we, we're not in a position to set them up for success. Uh, and so eventually they do kind of revolve back into the system uh, and, and it becomes just a circular you know, door we needed to to come up with a better system so we've been working for the last couple of years uh, to really dig deep to find where there are some success stories that are going on uh, nationally but right here in Massachusetts and I was fortunate that my colleague out in Hamden County Sheriff Kochi um, has put together quite a, a great support service center for the people of Hamden County which is out in Springfield um, which is very, it's comparable to, to, to the Norfolk County. There's, there's a mix of, you know, cities and towns and uh, there's urban, there's also rural towns. And uh, Sheriff Kochi put together a very comprehensive support service center that's available to all of the residents of Hamden County, not just people that are that are, that are formerly incarcerated coming out, but it's for anybody. But we're gonna start slow. You know, we're gonna be, we, we need to set up our location. We're not sure where that's gonna be yet. But in order to serve the needs of those, uh, you know, who are working to put their lives back on track, uh, you know, we wanted to put together this new center to help them keep focused on both their recovery, uh, whether it's, you know, drugs and alcohol abuse, uh, but also to figure out putting together a a success plan for these people going forward. Uh, We do a lot of things within the jail itself to help people get back on track, whether it's, you know, helping them with substance use disorder. Uh, helping them, we have a great program called Employ Here, which focuses on, uh, uh, you know, d- job development skills, resume writing. Everything that we do here is great, but if we don't have any services outside of the facility in a post-incarceration world, then the, all the things that we're doing in-house are are sadly probably a waste of time. We want a continuity of care to go on outside of the the, the jail after incarceration. So. What we're doing now is we're we're gonna be building out, we're gonna find a facility to, to to actually house this. Most likely right now it'll it'll probably be in the Quincy area because that's where the largest courthouse is, where Quincy District Court is. And we're gonna be partnering up with the trial court because what we wanna do is identify people that are just getting into the criminal justice system. We wanna identify, you know, working with probation, working with the judges to figure out why these people are in, in, in the criminal justice system in the first place it do, it it takes a while unless you commit a horrendous crime to end up getting convicted and sentenced to serve time in the house of correction so before that happens we want to try to identify who these people are and what services we might be able to provide for them you know oftentimes you know we we talk in the vast majority of the issues is are drug and alcohol related that's usually what causes criminal behavior in the first place but it is also you know income insecurity, lack of job, lack of education. So those are the kind of services we want to kind of build around this center. And working with the trial court, we want to identify those people who are at risk um, for getting involved further in the criminal justice process and bring them into our environment so that we can start putting them on a success path that puts them out forward. So it's both people that that are just getting into the criminal justice system, as well as for those who are, the hardened ones that have been through the the, the sheriff's office, been incarcerated, and now are getting back on the street. And we wanna make sure that it's a well-rounded facility that focuses both on recovery issues. I think right out of the gate, uh, one of the first things that we're gonna do is we're gonna host um, AA meetings uh, at the facility just to to focus on alcohol, as well as drug uh, counseling as well. Uh, But we also have our in-house programs that we've run for years, uh, on the job placement uh, things, uh, resume writing. Uh, we have identified over 300 at this stage of the game, uh, Corey friendly employers. So I say Corey is the criminal records uh, uh, system that identifies, you know, when if somebody goes for a job uh, and the employer wants to run their record and finds out that they're formerly incarcerated or have a criminal record, the chances of them getting hired, unfortunately are, are, are much less. So what we've done is we've identified these Corey friendly employers that people are willing to give a second chance. We have over 300 employers within the Norfolk County area that are willing to give people a second chance. We need to make sure that we train these people and give them the skills needed to go into these positions. And some are as simple as you know stock and shelves at Home Depot, but others are higher level positions that uh, that, that are in the in the building trades uh, that require licensing. We're focusing on getting uh, people uh, CDL licenses uh, uh, so that they can, I mean, truck driving is a huge issue these days. We can't move enough goods around this country right now, so we need more truck drivers. So we're identifying where the needs are, and then we're gonna be building the support service center around where, uh, where the needs are. So we're gonna focus on education, jobs, uh, and we're gonna focus on um, mental health and substance use uh, counseling. So we're excited about it. It's a long-term plan. It's certainly not going to be something we turn on the switch instantly. Um, But luckily, this is part of the six-year process I have in in this next term to build this thing out. Start slow, start local, uh, but then spread it around. As I always say, the best places are around where the district courts are. And we have five district courts in Norfolk County. Um, So we want to make sure that these services are available within each region around the county. So we're going to start probably in Quincy, which is the biggest. Uh, and then we'll we'll move, we'll, we'll branch out to Stoughton, to Dedham, to Rentham, and then over to Brookline as well uh, to to bring those services to all of the people in Norfolk County, not just those are, that have been incarcerated, but to anybody that needs those particular skills that keep them out of the criminal justice process.
1: Um, do they have drug courts in
0: Norfolk County? We do. We do. And that's, that's part of, uh, it's part of the success story of the trial court is they've focused on these specialty courts and they both in, and Quincy has both a drug court. Uh, I believe they have the veterans court as well as a mental health court. So that's why I like, I do like Quincy court as they've been very progressive and innovative in some of their uh, programs in the court system. So I think partnering up with them because they know where the need is. The problem is that the courts themselves don't have the services available They rely heavily on the community support and for programs that are available in the communities. So the trial court itself isn't equipped to do that. So we think there is a void to be filled. And I think focusing, like I say, on the drug court, mental health court, and our veterans court is where our our key target market's going to be on on helping these folks get back on the right track.
1: You told us uh, a year ago that of all the people coming into the prison Eighty percent of them were drug related crimes. Correct.
0: Correct. Still. Yeah, running it, 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 we're running the same way. Drug and alcohol. It, it's 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 a it's a sad state of affairs and it's tough to keep up with it. You know, the, and now we're we're dealing with a with a major crisis with fentanyl. Um, it, is, it is it is inundating the country right now. Um, it is pouring over the border uh, coming through from China through Mexico. And uh, you know we have we have a staffer that's embedded in the FBI uh, strike force that deals with this issue, and um, they're inundated. They're they're overwhelmed with the amount of problems that are coming in. And fentanyl is the number one killer these days. It's it's uh, it's not just you know the the heroin in and of itself is a deadly killer. The opioid you know that 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 gets around, but uh, but fentanyl now is is uh, is is a drug that's that that can show up anywhere. It can show up in uh, in any pill. It can show up in, uh, marijuana. It can show up in, in, in any, in anywhere. And that it's a, cocaine. it's a major danger, cocaine across the board. And, uh, and so I think that we need to, we need to step up our efforts on that front, uh, to, to, to really, uh, to, 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 cut that down the, the drug trafficking that's going on. But, you know, it's a, it's a big issue that, uh, our, our partners in the federal government certainly need to, uh, to step up a little bit and, uh, yeah, they, talk, they always talk about the war on drugs and and sadly I don't think we're winning it at this stage of the game and uh no. I, think so. I, think, I think we have to get a little tougher on some of the uh those that would bring harm to our to our to to our our community um drug dealers specifically uh I think the penalties need to be harsher and uh and we have to have a no tolerance policy to, to anybody that's 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 dealing drugs
1: well I would agree with the fentanyl Program. If anybody's dealing fentanyl in large quantities, especially, uh, throw away the key. You know. Yep.
0: Don't nope. send uh, them to too your, many too many people there. losing their lives. So don't send
1: them to your prison. Send them to a hardcore prison somewhere where there's no intentions of getting out. Yep. So so, uh, so it, in on December 23rd, there was a bill passed in the uh, the House and Senate and federally, and Joe Biden signed it. Called Mat M A T.
0: Are you yes, where you did
1: you follow along with that?
0: Is it, well, I know of Matt as medically assisted treatment. So, is there a different right. Matt well, that I'm talking about?
1: <laughs> no, that that's it. But um, that's it. The, yeah. the, the thing that's um, that's been passed is that now a doctor can be what they call X so that um, once they do the eight-hour program on addiction, um, they can now have an unlimited number of of um, people to. To administer Suboxidin and bupropion yep. too, and even in uh, in Rhode Island, I know that they they set it up so that any drugstore, the pharmacist can actually write the prescription, not only fill it but write it, yep. as long as they're, they're being assisted with a doctor there, because um, it takes away a lot of the stigma, and and this is one thing that could prevent. One of the things about fentanyl is why is fentanyl so popular? Well, it's popular because we have clients, we have customers for them. And why yep. are there customers here? You know, when it's, they've got to get, a, got to get off the, originally the opioid, um, they were hooked on those and now they, they go to the next level, you know,
0: but it's dirt off. cheap. That's the other, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's the cheapest thing on the market. I mean, you can get it for, for pennies, unfortunately, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we've we've uh, it, it, we talk about medical assisted treatment and, and it, it was something that, that was a pilot program actually here uh, in Norfolk County. Before I became sheriff, the uh, the prior sheriff had, had, had authorized um, a, a pilot program that that uh, is a medication. Uh, we call it the Mood program, medication for opioid use disorder, um, which helps people fight addiction by using medications like Suboxone and Sublocade and a few other things. So we actually have found it to be quite a success. And and that story has been told now over the course of the last couple of years. I've had the opportunity to speak about it nationally at a couple of different sheriffs' conferences. Um, and it, I think the debate is over. At one point a few years ago, the debate was, and I, I still, the jury was out with me too, as to whether or not are we technically using addiction to solve an addiction um, but it really became something more of a an academic uh, and a medical study that this actually does work that it actually helps wean people off of uh, their addiction to to opioids so uh, I'm um I'm a fan of the program we've we've actually had some su- some great success stories at the Norfolk House of Correction um we actually now with every participant that that is in our program when we, have the, uh, when they are discharged, we give them a mood discharge, discharge packet when they leave the facility. Um, that includes, you know, community information to help them stay in the right pack, depending on which community they're going back into, which town, we make sure that all the services um, that they need are, are, are put forth. We, we make sure that there's appointment letter. Uh, we put the, together a last dose letter uh, and any other medical information that they might need for various clinical appointments. Uh, such as labs, med lists, uh, all the forms that they need. We also make sure that they receive a Narcan kit, you know, and Narcan is something that uh, another thing that was revolutionized right here locally uh, in Norfolk County by the Quincy police department. You know, that was something that, that, that uh, was pioneered uh, by the Quincy police department, making sure that Narcan was readily available to people um, and that people were trained on how to use it. Uh, So that prevents that prevents death. It prevents people from going back into full further relapses, um, and uh, we're very proud of the fact that that, that we're par- participating in that. I mean, the the battle with opioid addiction is not solved overnight. And for those that I've had family members who are struggling, uh, that are you, you never cure yourself of an of an addiction. Um, it, it is literally a daily struggle. Uh, to make sure that every day is a blessing, that, that today won't be the day you relapse. Um, but it doesn't take much for it to be triggered uh, and to look for a quick fix. And so we know that that is an ongoing struggle for those that that struggle with opioid addiction. So we want to make sure that they at least have the resources and the tools that keep them first on the right path, but also that in the event that they do relapse, that's where that Narcan kit comes in to make sure that their loved ones know how to take care of them in the event that they do have a relapse, and, and so that they don't lose their life through an overdose.
1: Yeah, that's um, you know, I can say Narcan has saved a lot of lives over the past two or three years, without a doubt. Everybody that's got anybody that's got addiction problems should have Narcan in the house.
0: Yep, I've been at too many of the candlelight vigils where, uh, sadly, we we when we when we read off the names of those that we've lost in the last year. And it just breaks your heart. And uh, and you know, you, you see the grieving families that, that, that they're going through. And and that's that's now very much encouraged to make sure that Narcan is readily available. Uh, it's affordable, and we make sure it's in the in the hands of every family member just so that they can they can be there just in case their loved one needs it.
1: And I see you're doing a a program study on
0: methamphetamines.
1: Um that's typically what they call meth, right? Um,
0: yeah. So the, so the, um, the, What's the, the difference the,
1: between that and opioids, that's one of the things. That, how does it affect the brain differently? Well, the,
0: the problem with methamphetamines is, is we, they're, they're undetectable right now. And that's why we put together this program study. Um, we have a, an enormous amount of people now that are, uh, that are coming in and revealing that they, they, they have a risk of reoffending because of methamphetamine uses uh, and other stimulants. So it's a methamphetamine is a stimulant. Um, that 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 causes erratic behavior, um, and there's really no way. What what we're doing is putting together this study program to 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 figure out ways that we can identify people that are going through methamphetamine use, and how best to treat that. There's really no treatment for it right now. You know, whereas at least with the opioid issue, we've we've identified you know the various treatments medically to deal with it. Right now, methamphetamines are uh, unfortunately they're they're highly addictive. Um, and there also there there is no tell all cure to them. So you know we've put together this program study to figure out what the best practices we can put in place uh, to help an individual recover from that particular substance use. Um, and so we're hoping to have that study completed and and um, and bring in professionals to help us develop um, you know courses of action that we can help folks. But the meth that's another program, and, and I, I've consulted with. Um, with my colleagues around the country, uh, and it's 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 coming out of Mexico. Uh, a lot of this stuff is sanctioned, at least not officially sanctioned, but we know that the government of Mexico has, has sanctioned a lot of this stuff. There are meth labs, and they're not like you know people people think of uh, the show Breaking Bad. You know, some guy driving around in a in a in a van making having meth out of his you know out of his RV. There are some very sophisticated facilities in Mexico that are currently processing and building out methamphetamine you um, drugs. So it's sad, but that it's it's a it's a it's a business being run, you know, run by the cartels in Mexico. Uh, it doesn't appear to be that that the Mexican government has has control over it or that it has, it has a handle on it. And sadly enough, it's coming right through our borders. and once again, we're seeing, um, we're seeing it now as the next wave, we believe this is the next wave of, of addiction is going to be on meth, uh, that, you know, now that the heroin stuff is kind of, it, it's still there, but we at least had a little bit of a hold on it. Methamphetamine is, is just out of control right now. So it's the next round that we need to be aware of. That's why we're studying it. And we're hopefully going to have a, have a plan of action in place, uh, to, to help, to help fight it.
1: And, and, and what is it when somebody is it in pill form a powder or how does one take it's well, it,
0: it's it, it's various it, it's it's uh, it can be in pill form it can be in a powder uh and it can i think it can be a liquid too i think they've they've actually had it uh, where you can it, it can be just attached to paper and if they lick it they they can get a high off of it so um it, it's once again it's it's and it's highly it's undetectable you know like we we have our drug dogs and yeah, you know, there's, you can't, de- you can't detect this stuff either. That's the other problem. So, um, so hopefully science will catch up with, you know, with the whole problem and we can come up with a, a solution
1: to it. Well, um, um, <clears throat> while you were away in Thailand, we happened to be interviewing somebody who had been recently released from prison. And he's part of a group called Prison to Prosperity. Um,
0: are you familiar with that group? I have heard Prison to Prosperity. I'm trying, to, where is that for, out of? I know they're, it, they're it, out
1: of, they're up there in the Haverhill, Lawrence, Lowell area. I, okay, yeah, I thought it was Essex
0: County. I, I, th- I think that's- uh,
1: Essex County, it could be.
0: I think it's could part be. of Sheriff Coppinger's uh, crew up there in Essex County,
1: yeah. Yeah, they wanted me to reach out to you to let you know that they're welcoming anybody who has been recently released. And um, the gentleman that I interviewed, A couple of them, they found that it was very useful because they help them get jobs and they help them get housing. That's the biggest thing. Is you were talking, you were talking about the Corey thing. And he's telling me that every time he went to get a rent a house, somebody do the Corey thing, they wouldn't rent them the house. Correct. Is is there any point where that becomes discrimination, or is that the option of the landlord? It's
0: pretty much the option of the landlord. You know, it's like you, 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 they're not forced. I mean, the only discrimination thing is obviously based upon, you know, race or gender or, you know, that that kind of stuff. You're a protected class by law, uh, but a formerly incarcerated individual is not a protected class right now uh, in the eyes of the law. So you, as a landlord, um, after, after a background check, if you don't want to rent to somebody because they have a criminal record, uh, it does happen sadly all the time, and there are, there are a few uh, that I know of, of of landlords that are committed to that. So housing is a huge issue and something that I wanna work, I have a background in real estate a little bit. I dabbled in in, in house flipping back in the day. Um, so I know enough to, to, to know how to proceed on that. Cause I think we do need, across the board we, we need better affordable housing, but in particular for those that have gone through the criminal justice system and are coming out of prison, uh, there is a real need for transitional housing because that—that that is the number one of the, well, it's not the number one reason, but they're all up there as to why recidivism is so high, is if you don't have a place to live, half the time you're couch surfing, you're going back to the places that you used to be with your, with your old pals who got you in trouble in the first place. So if there's not a robust transition program available for people, uh, for housing and for various programming, then we're in trouble. So Um, I'd like to try to put my real estate cap on over the next few years to try to figure out how we can develop with some friendly, uh, real estate professionals, how we can develop transitional housing for people coming out of, uh, the prison system that need, you know, six months to a year, maybe of transitional housing, and hopefully then get them on the right track that they, uh, can find, uh, friendly landlords that will take them in or put them on the path to home ownership. That's another issue that's well that's that's, that's what their goal is up
1: there is the home ownership and yep um this we'll just call him Frank told me that that um he's going to actually have a house that's going to be his they got a federally uh they got a loan from that the federal government was would bank would back the loan yep and so he's getting the 235,000 and he said he's been he was incarcerated for 27 years wow and now now he's gonna well he he's when you see the movie the town he, that was the movie about him oh here we go <laughs> he was he was uh, he he wore the hockey mask when he robbed the bank and the, yep. and the, and the yep. yeah so he's quite an interesting fella. and I, I will have to tell you how I met him um I had a redo of my back surgery and as I was going into my room I had a i I had a roommate. And it turned out to be Frank. We didn't start off. We didn't. Wow. We, didn't, we certainly didn't hit it off too well. And if I'd ever known who I was talking to, I would have, might have been a little, <laughs> little, <laughs> little less aggressive. But uh, it worked out okay after, after listening to a story from behind the curtain. You know, for 10 hours, I talked to this guy before I even knew what he looked like. You know, it felt like the old Archie Bunker story, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I remember. Archie Bunker, yeah. <laughs>
0: and,
1: you, oh, know, no. you know, uh, yeah, but anyway, he was um, quite an interesting person, and um, the gentleman who runs the program is something you might someday you might,
0: might have somebody reach out to him and
1: uh, give him a, give him a shout and see. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. But, you know, there's
0: so many of these programs I've heard about. You know, when I, I, I not there's stuff that's within the state, with Massachusetts and nationally, and it's really a matter of as I always rip off and duplicate. You know, the, a lot of these programs are are out there. Uh, and it's just a matter of making the commitment to do, to, to take that the concept of the program and bring it back locally to, and, and tailor it to the needs of our community. And uh, so, yeah, I, I gave, I, I give a speech. Usually uh, I, I teach a seminar at these conferences and it's all about, you know, finding programs. It's not about research and developments, rip off and duplicate, find out that's what's working idea. out there and then tweak it to your own community standards. And, uh, and that's where your success lies. And I think, the housing piece is a big one. and I've got some great friends uh, in Quincy that uh, I have a couple of friends who are very, who are specialized in uh, affordable housing development. And they've done that for seniors. They've done that for low income residents. Uh, and I've briefly approached them about seeing whether or not we could put together a program for formerly incarcerated individuals and uh, it's piqued their interest at least. And they, you got to find out, you know, like everything else, you got to find where the money is and you got to find out where the grants are that can, can can make it a, a, an incentive for a developer to take a piece of land build up uh, you know affordable housing for folks because you know unfortunately these days with the economy churning out big profits most developers are grabbing land and they they they're just squeezing out the middle class and the, and the and the and the poor um and and they're just building these luxury housing complexes and uh there's a lot of people going to be hurting on that so we need more affordable housing Specifically, in my realm, we need it for those uh, post-incarceration individuals.
1: Yeah, one one thing Frank told me about in the meetings that they have with the ex-cons, they, they, um, the discussion it's always comes out that it's easier to be in prison than it is to be out of prison. He said, in prison, I got three meals a day. I had a roof over yeah. my head, and I got to know who all my inmates were, and I got to know who was kind of like my camaraderie like a team, you know? Yep. And he said, once you get on the outside and you face all of these things, you just wonder, am I better off if I just go back? And and that's I'm sure that's what goes through
0: a lot of guys' heads, you know. Well that was the character in Shawshank Redemption, um, Morgan Freeman's character, you know, who, who yeah. had spent years and, and and he finally almost gave up at the end and said, I'm 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 done making excuses. I'm an old man now. And then they finally granted him parole. And he almost didn't know what to do with himself. You know, he, he you know, he yeah. all of a sudden was living on his own and, you know, bagging groceries and, you know, some, some of them just say, I, I want back in because at least there I had structure and stuff. And that's just obviously a bad, it, it, it's a tragic thing, the way to think of things, but there are many people that just don't, if they've been in the criminal justice system and they've been in and out of jail, it's all they know. It's because they they haven't had a success plan put out there. They don't realize, and that's like I said, we it flips back to the final, that final part of the, my mission, my right, four pillars is is hope. Uh, if people have no hope, um, they might as well just go back to jail. At least there, they're they're taken care of. But if you do, if you give them a success plan, a path towards a better life, uh, that all of a sudden flips some a switch on in their head, and they all of a sudden they have hope. And hope can drive a lot of great things in this in, in our lifetime. Uh if you know that there's a better tomorrow for you, uh, you're willing to get up and put your feet in the floor every day and and, and strive for that. Uh, but if you if you don't have any hope, then yeah, you might as well just be either back in prison or sadly, you know, you're, you're better off. It, 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 it tragically leads to suicide and everything else. So we need to give them hope and we need to we need to build yeah. up programs that make them feel as though they have a reason to get up in the morning and go.
1: I mean, there's obviously a great cost to keep somebody in prison. Um, find money cost and, and that's
0: about a hundred grand, hundred thousand bucks. A year. A, a year. Yeah. So so, to, you know, so
1: so so if you if you took that same money and as you're doing now with all these programs outside of the prison, you know, to keep people from coming back, it's yep. gotta be a it's gotta be a money saver. You, at the end of the day could,
0: it would be. No question. I I have often uh, been been <laughs> politely criticized about all the things that I've done, at least in my career back at the probate court. And now here's sheriff is I, I've constantly tried to put programs in place to put myself out of business. Um, yeah. yeah. I know that that'll never technically happen, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I am. I mean, I, I, if there was ever a day we could, we could shut down our prison system because we don't need them anymore. I mean, we're always going to need a prison system, but for the vast majority of people that come through the Norfolk County correctional, they get sentenced here um their their crimes are not to the level that that, 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 that they're they're uh, they're they're no good to society um there are people that need hard long-term incarceration they're evil you know I mean certainly there, there are people that commit murder that commit rape armed robbery that a lot of times they're, they're not there there are a small percentage of people I guess that might not be able to be redeemed so to speak but for the vast majority of people I think that we can help we can set them on the right path and And I think that that we can do some cost savings if uh, if we have less incarceration Um, and it's the taxpayers that have to pay the bills. So when you when you when you shine a light on how much it costs to incarcerate someone, I think they start understanding that you have a better opportunity uh, if you invest in other programs to make them better and put them back on the tax roll so that they're tax paying.
1: Well, the the state, speaking of money, the state is receiving millions and millions of dollars from. Purdue farmer and Johnson and Johnson and um, McKesson and all these different companies that kind of re- bankrolled the epidemic to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, how difficult is it for you to get some of that money? And and I'm gonna that's part of first part of the question. Second part is that we have a place down here in in uh, Kingston. It's called um, uh, Hope Floats, which is a place where nice uh, where parents go as you know, to grieve and they have groups for grievement for people, you know, parents who have lost children and so forth from substance use and other things. And there's the way the state set up the funds, only the towns, individual towns give out the money instead of like you, you're, mm-hmm. you're representing the entire County. So, you know, you should be able to, you should be one of the first people to be able to get that money. And we're talking millions of dollars. And, and uh, have you, Gone after any of that money yet? Because it has to be used for somebody, but you know, to help the 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 cause. You know, to get yep people into recovery and get them
0: going straight and so forth. Yeah, we've been. I've I've worked. You know, the, the, the money that flows through a lot. A lot of money that came into the Commonwealth um, is being is kind of it kind of trickles through the different agencies. I know a lot of money goes through the Department of Public, uh, the Secretary of Public Health and Safety excuse me, the public health and human services. And then there's, there's monies that have gone through the Department of uh, Public Safety as well. And then municipalities correct, and as well as the county. So the county of Norfolk actually got a, a, a chunk of money as well that they're uh, looking to expand. And so I've approached the county commissioners on possibly partnering up on some programming that we would like to do. And, and they're, they've been receptive to that. Um, and and I always look, you know, at the end of the day too, I, I don't think government itself um is the end-all solution to some of these problems. I mean, we can come up with some great ideas, but I think some of the success stories I've had in my career at least is is the investment that we've had in in our nonprofit partners. Uh I like the public-private partnerships that 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 can be done because within, you know, within the sheriff's office, we're all professionals and we have a bunch of ideas that can work, but if, if you're if you're trying to solve a, a homeless issue, um, we've got great nonprofits like Father Bills and Main Spring uh, in, in Norfolk County and as well as Plymouth County. Uh, if you're trying to solve um, affordable housing issues, there's a great nonprofit called Social Habitat for Humanity that that are professionals that know how to deal with building new houses and affordable pro- properties. There's great mental health counseling, Bay State Community Services, Manit Health Community Center. So I, I like to partner up using my government job my as, as a public service elected official and partnering up and investing in our nonprofit community because that's where the rubber meets the road. So if, if the monies flow through the public entities and invest in our community partners in the nonprofit community, I think that's where I think we can have more success. Um, I always get concerned of, of, of government trying to solve too many problems because it can get caught up far too much in the bureaucratic process. And um, Once again, I, I don't like to see money wasted and sometimes government can be the biggest waste of money. Uh, I've, I've watched nonprofits um, rub two pennies together and, and make gold uh, because they can make stuff happen. So. Uh, I've had some success with our, our nonprofit community, and 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 that I think is where I would probably turn any kind of funding uh, on. Um, and so that that I think is what we're going to probably end up doing. Uh, any money that comes our way, that and a lot of these grants that come out of the government, anyways, you need a a nonprofit partner, uh, which I think is a good formula for success. So um, that's where I think we're going to be leaning towards too. And we started our own nonprofit here at the sheriff's office called. Uh, NSO cares, uh, and that's going to be a nonprofit that helps uh, helps folks uh, live the mission that we're trying to put forth of prevention, intervention, education, and hope. And so that that nonprofit is, is up and running this year, and um, and we may be able, to, be able to receive some of the funding that that comes through the the government as well to help establish some of these programs that we're looking to do on the outside.
1: Wow, well, so we're just about out of time. As How'd I that happen? As always with the with the hour, it goes pretty
0: fast. How'd that so, happen? <laughs> yeah.
1: So. Are there any additional community outreach efforts that you want to talk about that we didn't cover?
0: Well, we get two two big initiatives we're starting up this year is uh, uh we're putting together a Norfolk County Bureau of Criminal Investigation. Uh one of my goals was to create this uh Bureau of Criminal Investigations to assist our local law enforcement agencies with investigations and help. Uh, streamline investigatory processes. And, uh, you know, in terms of securing a crime scene, processing a crime scene, a lot of local communities don't have the resources uh, to fully do the job that they need to do, especially the smaller uh, police police communities. And, um, you know, our state police are great, uh, but they also uh, have limited resources. So we're going to try to partner up and, and help out some of those local law enforcement communities by, by doing this. We've already sent our our, uh, our team for training. And now they're also, I think they're down in Plymouth County right now because Sheriff McDonald has a, has a pretty good crew down in uh, Plymouth County that's already doing this. So once again, I do the ripoff and duplicate. If I see a success formula, I take it. Um, so we're doing that. And then um, we're also fully launching uh, our Norfolk County Public Safety Alliance this year. Last couple of years, we reintroduced the concept of of local partnerships between the District Attorney's Office, the Sheriff's Office, as well as the local communities, whether it's the Senior uh, councils on Aging, uh, the local uh, school system. And we've also brought in the Norfolk County Treasurer's Office to talk about financial uh, resources that are available for people. And the purpose of the Alliance is to bring together these community partners along with public safety officials uh, to help coordinate all of our resources. We'd hate to see duplication of effort going on. There's a lot of programs that the DA does that are the same, almost similar to what the Sheriff's Office does in some of the local police communities. So we wanted to come up with best practices in promoting public safety uh, so that we can share those best practices across the town board uh, boundaries, tailor them for a local community, but share the resources as well. And so we're relaunching that this year uh, we're going to be going out to every tw- all 28 towns, uh, having, you know, kind of a ceremonial signing of a memorandum of understanding and uh, and really hope to invest in communities um, on a, from a public safety level. So we're really excited about that. I know D.A. Michael Morrissey and Treasurer Mike Bellotti are very, very uh, uh, invested in the process. And so we look forward to launching that this year. Well, that's pretty ambitious, but that's the way you ride. You know,
1: <laughs> you, just, you like to keep it going. Exactly. Which is terrific. Exactly. And then um, we've been talking to Sheriff Patrick McDermott from the Norfolk County Sheriff's Office, and he is always enlightening us with all of the things that are going on in Norfolk County. And WMEX is uh, is uh, pretty much the local radio station for Norfolk County. We are based in Quincy, we and, and um, we're right there where everybody can hear it. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough. And I, I know you're going to want to try to get caught up on some of your lack of sleep problem, but uh, uh, you'll get you'll get there. It won't take long. Within a week, no. you'll forget
0: all about it. And so- if I give one one big shout out, Tony, we you know in this era of social media and stuff, we I urge all the listeners that are interested in some of the great things that we're doing, follow us on social media. You can just look us up on all of the various platforms. Norfolk Sheriff's Office. Uh, follow us on uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, and, uh, and for all updates and stuff. And you can sign up for updates with us as well. So we, we want to keep the public involved in what we do. We want their ideas. And so certainly social media is our best bet these days to get the word out.
1: Okay, well, let those people on your social media know that they can listen to Sheriff Patrick McDermott on WMEX at 6 o'clock on Monday night, Thursday night also at 6 o'clock.
0: I'm sure Garrett has written that down and we will make sure that that gets out there to make sure that people tune into the program.
1: Okay, and I thank you very much. And this is Tony LaGreca and this is The Courage to Hope. And we really appreciate Sheriff McDermott's giving us an hour of his time after after a long, long flight. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Tony.